Well, today is a special day. Pastor Bobby and Pastor Toya are out today, um, and they're getting a minute to rest and relax, which they pour week in, week out, day in, day out to chapel, to the surrounding community, to their family. And so any chance that they can get a moment to get out and enjoy some time away, we are uh, thankful for that. But we are a blessed church, and they have been incredible leaders. And so uh, we're grateful that they get to go and have a minute uh, to themselves. Um, but I also want to encourage you, uh, over the next couple of weeks, Pastor Bobby's going to be starting his Galatian series, uh, which is going to be awesome. So I want to make sure you're here for that and be a part of that. But today we have a very special guest in the house. We have someone who has been here a very long time, uh, way before my time. Um, but he has been here and he's been a faithful friend to this house. And so we are very appreciative of him being able to come, spend some time with us, pour into us and share what God has put on his heart. So if you would do me a favor, stand to your feet and let's welcome Pastor Kim Clout to the platform. young lady. What's up, Chapel? Uh, You know, I've been coming here 30 years, and I see some faces that I've seen, I think, those whole 30 years, and then I see some faces I've never seen before. So if you've never heard me, raise your hand like this and wave it around. Oh, a bunch of you. Okay. Well, uh, a little etymology on my life. Uh, I grew up in church. How many of you here grew up in church? I did. Uh, my dad was a preacher, preached all over the world, 115 countries he preached in, which I still can't wrap my head around. He preached 63 years. His dad, my grandfather, preached 78 years. And that isn't the most amazing thing he did. The most amazing thing he did, he was married for 72 years to the same woman. Drop the mic. Uh... So what I'm telling you is I come from a long line of people who love one another and love the Lord. But in the interest of full disclosure, although my dad was a preacher, my grandfather was a preacher, I was rebellious. How many of you here were rebellious? And the rest of you are still liars. Well, that's all right. We each have our our, our issues to overcome. I'm just being honest with you. I was rebellious. But then the Lord revealed to me that as deep a pit as I had run my life into... His love went deeper still. That's why I can stand before you this morning. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. That's awesome. You may be here today and feel like your life's in a pit, that you've messed things up, that there's no going back, that it'll never be the same. And it won't be because God's got better for you because his love goes deeper than whatever your life is in today. And that's why I'm standing before you. So this, I was telling somebody before service, this month starts my 46th year a full-time ministry. And in fact, maybe most remarkably, my grandfather started preaching in 1924. So next year will be one century, 100 years continuous that our family's been in ministry. So I think that's incredible. Amen. So I'm just telling you where I come from. Uh, My wife, Susan, and I, her name is Susan and my name is Kim. Uh, We've been in ministry together all these years. Uh, I've already had some people come to me this morning and tell me, boy, I sure enjoy what your wife does. My wife uses horses in ministry. How many of you here like horses? Uh-huh. And some of you don't have your hand up. Well, have you been told that Jesus is coming back on one? I would give that some thought if I were you. How many of you like horses now? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so my wife uses horses. She sings, preaches, does entire services, literally sitting on a horse. What she does is teaches you the Bible. 
using the horse as the idiom. How many of you know if the object lesson weighs 1,200 pounds, it's easy to connect the dots? And I've had some of you come already to tell me how much you enjoy what she does. I'm getting ready to tell you something to you you may never hear a preacher say in church. Take out your cell phone. I'm sincere. Take out your cell phone. You all have one. Don't act like you don't. Everybody take out your cell phone. And I just want you to Google this. Susan Clout. K-L-A-U-D-T. Susan Clout Horse Ministry. If you type in Susan Clout Horse Ministry, her news, her uh, website will come up. You scroll about halfway down, there's a place that says contact us. Just put your email address in there. I'll tell you why. She has a tremendous gift of teaching you what I call mirror truths. That is, the relationship between horse and rider has many mirror truths between the relationship of God and man. And she has a tremendous gift of doing that. It's totally free, never cost you a thing. We won't ask you for nothing. But I just want to share that with you. She's not here with me. She always gives me a hard time. She says, Kim, it takes you rental cars and airports to reach the world. I reach the world in my bedroom slippers. She had people all last year, 39,000 people worldwide on every continent got what she does. If you don't get it, you will when you put your email address there. And I'm using the word promise here. I promise what she does will be a blessing to you. So with that out of line, you can put your phone up. I got a good word for you today. Uh, I just want to say thank you to Pastor Bobby. He could have had anybody be here today. But he allowed me and trusted me to be here when he's out of town. And so that's, as an itinerant minister, that's as nice a tip of a cap as you can get. I got a good word for you today. Look at your neighbor and say, this is going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one. Uh, I want to talk about Jesus. That may come as a shock to you. But I want to talk about Jesus and church. What I hope are two key issues in your life, Jesus and church. And what I want to talk about is the etymology of those two words. What does etymology mean? It means the origin of those two words. In other words, Christianity and church have not always been. They have a discernible beginning point. The word Christianity and the word church have not always been in the lexicon of human language, but they have a discernible beginning, and we're going to look at it today. And so if you're going to talk about Christianity, you have to start with Jesus. Amen? So that's what I want to do. And I don't want to lay a few ground rule truths here about Jesus. Can we agree his life was different than anybody else who ever walked on the planet? Can we further agree that his origin, the way he was conceived, was unlike anyone in the history of of mankind? I mean, no doubt there have probably been some 15-year-old girls in Alabama who were pregnant who said, I don't know how this happened. But she does. Mary is the only one who could ever literally say, I don't know how this happened. Nobody knows how that happened. That she conceives by the Holy Spirit. So from his beginning, the life of Jesus is different. It is literally miraculous. Now, if you study scripture, if you know about the the four gospels, there's not a whole lot of reference to Jesus' early days. We know as an adolescent, his mom can't find him. How many of you here have ever lost your kids? You know, and I love what he said to him. He said, well, where did you think I'd be? Where did you think I'd be? I was in my father's house. And then things largely are silent again until John the Baptist is baptizing. And he looks up on the bank and he sees Jesus coming. And he says, behold, the Lamb of the Lord, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. <coughs> From that moment forward, how many of you know everything on earth changed? Say that, everything changed. And everything changed because how many of you realize that Jesus said things no one had ever said. 
Jesus said things that no one had ever said. The room is divided. Let's have everybody on this side of the room, including the balcony. Let me hear y'all say, he said things nobody ever said. He did. Jesus said things no one had ever said before. Jesus said things like in the Gospel of John chapter 10. He said, no man cometh to the Father unless he comes to me. I'm the only gate that'll get you in. Let me hear y'all say, that's what he said. Say it again. He said things nobody ever said. He did indeed. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father unless he comes through me. If you know the story that he loved uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, tells me that Martha was a good cook. I'm saying y'all don't know what to think of that, but let me tell you something. Preachers don't stay long in a house where somebody can't cook. I'm sorry, I've got to be going. It's been real. But if you can cook, he'll drop his anchor there. And so we know Jesus frequently was at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. We know that Mary was a server, a pra- or excuse me, a praiser. We know that Martha was a server. We don't know a whole lot about Lazarus until he gets sick. He gets sick and Martha realizes that and says to a servant, come here, look at me. I was teasing with Marissa before service. Uh, how many married men do I have here? Raise your hand if you're a brother in the struggle. All right, quite a few of you. Uh, how many of you men here are familiar with the look? Of course you are. You all are. Estrogen, they are the masters of nonverbal communication. And I can only imagine Martha saying to that servant, look at me, come here, listen. I want you to go tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick. He needs to come quick. Now, what are you going to tell him? Look at me. What are you going to tell him? Well, I mean, I'm going to tell And so he goes. And he goes and tells Jesus, does Jesus come quick? No, he doesn't come. In fact, he don't show up until Lazarus has been dead four days. And then he's not in a hurry. He comes walking back in. And you know, would, can you imagine, there is no reference to this in the Bible, but you can connect the dots. Imagine being that servant walking back without Jesus. And you know she's there. Has he come back yet? No. You know she's pulling the blinds down. Is he here? There he is. He's coming. What a long walk that must have been. And he's looking. He can see her at the blinds. And so he's, he's thinking, just don't, whatever God thinks, just don't make eye contact. Sometimes it's our only hope of survival. Just don't make eye contact. He's looking down. He's trying to look over. Finally, she steps out. Come here. Did you tell him? Yes. Well, what did you tell him? Well, I mean, I'll agree. Well, where is he? Well, I don't know. Well, why did, did you tell She can't understand. And so finally, when Jesus comes in, she comes running out there and says, didn't you get my text? I mean, I said, Lazarus is sick. Come quick. And Jesus said, well, it's not a problem. She said, not a problem. Have you read it in King James? She said, surely he stinketh. Some of you are thinking, that's my life verse. Surely he stinketh. None of you actually. Somebody you know, that's their life verse. Surely he stinketh. And Jesus said, well, it's all right. He said, he's going to live. She said, well, I know he'll live again in the resurrection. What did Jesus say? Something no one else had ever said. I am the resurrection. You see, that's why Jesus is such a big deal. He said things no one had ever said. Everybody in this room say that. He did indeed. But how many of you know talk is cheap? Let's be real. Some of y'all have said things everybody said and people talked about you. But can you imagine if you said things no one had ever said, people talked about you. People, were, people who were there firsthand were talking about it. People who heard it second and third. No, I'm telling you that's what he said. He said nobody comes to God unless they go through him. 
People got angry. People wanted to stone him. Church people wanted to stone him. But how many of you know he didn't just say things nobody ever said? How many of you know he did things nobody had ever done? That's your line this side of the room. Over here at... Let me hear y'all say, and he did things nobody had ever done. So if you've ever wondered, what is the big deal about Jesus? It can be summed up in two sentences. He, and then he, that's the explanation of Jesus. He says things nobody ever said. Then he turns around and does stuff nobody's ever done. You say, what did he do that nobody had ever done? How many of you know there were people who had been blind since birth? Jesus comes and puts mud on their eyes. And tells them, go wash. And now they can see. Don't you know people were talking? He did what? I'm telling you. He put mud on his eyes. And now he can see. How many of you know wherever where Jesus went, the Bible says he went about doing good? How many of you know everywhere he went, he changed people's lives? If you were blind and now you can see, he's changed your life. If you were deaf and now you can hear, he's changed your life. If you were dead and now you're alive, what has he done? I know that's true with me. I was dead in sin. I remember when I'd walk into church, I was one of them people that only come to church if there were poinsettias or Easter lilies there. And you'll have to have faith to believe this, but I had long hair and I delighted in shocking church people. Truth be told, I still do. And I remember I'd walk in and as soon as I did, I'd see the ushers. I called them the committee of the concerned. David, they'd cut me out of the herd like you're cutting a cow out of, you know, a calf out of a, a herd. They'd cut me out and get me over in the corner. They'd get me over in the corner and say, where you been, boy? You was in that church, that club last night, weren't you, boy? Playing that loud guitar of yours, were you, boy? I bet it was hot in there, wasn't it, son? Hot and sweaty. I remember thinking, were you there? Because, I mean, you are spot on. I didn't see you, but you have nailed it. They said, yeah, you were in that church, in that club, boy, playing that loud guitar. People were dancing, were they? I said, not me. That's why I was playing. I knew I couldn't dance. Hot and sweaty, wasn't it, boy? I said, well, it was. They said, you know what else is hot, son? Hey, How many of you grew up in a church where hell had two syllables? Hey, See, that's what Jesus did for me. He delivered me from the pits of hell. In fact, I told my wife, we should change the name of our ministry. It's Kim and Susan Clout World Ministries. We need to change it to God will forgive anybody. I'm serious. I'm not joking. I'm standing before you as living proof. God will forgive anybody. No matter how deep the pit your life is in. And that's what Jesus began to set in place. Jesus would go to people who the church folks are ready to stone them. And Jesus would talk for a few minutes and people drop their stones and walk off. And Jesus would say, where's your accusers? They've all left. Neither do I accuse you. Now go and sin no more. How many of you know that's what the Lord is saying to every one of you this morning? That's why he's so powerful. That's why he is so significant. It's because he... And then he... Did things nobody had ever done. Now, how many of you know, if you've got three and a half years of that, people are seeing that, people are talking. 
People are talking. The news is spreading everywhere he goes. Didn't have social media, but you can bet it spread like wildfire. Which brings us to Matthew chapter 16. That's our text for today. Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to begin with verse 13. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. If you don't, it's right up here on the screen. And we're going to read it together. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? You know, they've been hearing me say things nobody ever said. They've been seeing me do things nobody ever did. Who who do they think I am? Now, how many of you notice this is a rhetorical question? What is a rhetorical question? A rhetorical question is a question that has the answer in the question. It's the best kind of questions. How many of y'all remember the days of algebra? I don't want to bring up bad memories for some of you. Some of y'all thinking, oh, God, I'm going to have to double up my medication now. Algebra. You know what I remember about algebra? I would come home and my mom would say, what's wrong with you? I said, I got problems, mom. Man, I mean, I've got so many problems, they're numbered. At least the teacher was obvious and honest. She would say, you have problems one through 40. And my mom would say, what's wrong? I got 40 problems. Problems I didn't have when I got up this morning, I have now. And I looked forlorn and, and browbeaten and I hung my head and then a friend of mine said, hey, man, you looked in the back of the book? Come on, church people. <laughs> How many of y'all looked in the back of the book? Yeah, you all did. What was in the back of the book? Answers. How many of you know if you had the answer? It wasn't a problem. See, that's the best kind of question. A question has an answer in the question. And so people said, who do the people say the Son of Man is? Go back to that verse for just a second. Who do the people say the Son of Man is? How many of you know, I grew up in the 60s and 70s. How many of y'all did? Some of you did. Don't have your hand up, but that's all right. Uh, I did. Uh, You know, in the 60s and 70s, it was a a unique time. Uh, I remember I have friends that were trying to find themselves. How many of y'all remember that? I've got to get away. I'm trying to find myself. I need to get in touch with myself. I was wanting to ask him, out of curiosity, where are you going to look first? <laughs> I mean, what's your hunch? Where do you think you'll find yourself? No need looking somewhere you know you're not. Where do you think you are? In other words, we lived in a time people already getting goofy, trying to find out where they are, who they are. How many of those things haven't gotten any better? Have they? Come on, y'all. We were trying to figure out who we are. Now we got people trying to figure out what they are. How is it that male and female has become a moving target? You know, I'm wearing a woman's bathing suit. I must be a man. So, Jesus says, who do the people say the son of man is? How many of you know he knew who he was? But he wondered, who do they think I am? And so they answered, if you look at the next verse, they said, well, some of them say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Still others say you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. In other words, they know you're... And they recognize that you're... They get that part, but they can't quite put their finger on who you are. The last time people said things and did things like that, you'd have to go back to the prophets. 
And that's understandable. They weren't always with Jesus. They didn't hear everything he said. They didn't see everything he's done. So it's understandable. He knew they wouldn't know exactly who he was. Which is why he asked the next question. He then looked directly at the disciples and said, but what about you? Everybody look at me. Everybody look at me. Let our eyes meet. What about you? Who do you say I am? How many of you know everything in your life has been predicated on how you've answered that question? And how many of you understand you've answered that question every day of your life? You've answered that question by everything that's ever happened to you. By everything that's ever occurred in your life. You've responded based on your answer to that question. But what about you? Who do you say I am? How many of you know life is full of questions? Can I get an amen on that? I mean, you're asking, what's your pen? What are your three security questions? How many of you know we start asking people questions when they're, I mean, they're little tiny. What's your name, little boy? How old are you? Then people want to know, are you married? When's your birthday? The questions only get bigger as you go. Do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? Speaking of wife, my my wife likes to ask me questions to make points. Are these your socks? (laughs) If they're not, I have some questions of my own. You're asked questions all the time, every day, questions. Where have you been? What were you doing? What time did you leave? But you'll never be asked a question like, but what about you? Who do you say I am? You see, he could ask the disciples that because they had heard him say things that were for their ears only. They heard what he said to everybody, but then he said things that were directly to them. Similarly, his disciples had seen him do things that everybody saw. But then they saw him do things that were only for them. And so Jesus could rightfully say, what about you? Who do you say I am? As I said today, that determined your life. Your life is where it's at today. You either got up today with a smile on your face. Let me see everybody smile. Starting over here, let me see y'all smile. It don't count if I can't see your teeth. Come on, y'all show your teeth. Everybody here, where's y'all's teeth? They may not actually be your teeth, but you can show them anyhow. Everybody, everybody, teeth, teeth, teeth. People in the balcony, y'all got teeth? Yep, no, that's why we're up here. We're far enough away. You got up today with a smile on your face showing your teeth, or you got up today hanging your head. You know, I can tell... When people think about themselves too much by their posture. Have you noticed that? The more people think about themselves, the worse their posture is. Oh, God. My car payment's due tomorrow. What am I going to do at work? And my mother-in-law's coming over this afternoon. God. 
See, if you think about yourself too much, you're going to hang your head. And whether you got up today hanging your head or with a big grin on your face is because of your answer to that question. Come on, y'all. What about you? Who do you say that I am? How many of people out there, well, Jesus is a great teacher. How many of you, you can mention Jesus on a talk show. It don't matter. You could go on The View and say Jesus. Well, I think you could. They might edit it out. But how many of you know they don't? Well, he's a great teacher. How many of you know the whole world to tell you Jesus was a great? I mean, he was right there with Buddha and Gandhi. I mean, he's in the Mount Rushmore of teachers. Hard to say who's better. But how many of you know Jesus didn't say he came to be a great teacher? Why did Jesus say he came? I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. No one had ever said that. And no one ever followed through and made it real. And so Jesus said, what about you? Who do you say I am? Peter, tempestuous Peter. Look, he's the first to respond. Next verse. He says, whoops, verse 16. He says, well, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Everybody point at the screen right now. If you're not pointing, you're out of the will of God. Are you back open? How about you people with teeth in the balcony? Are you all pointing? If you're not, you're not pointing up there. Point. Good, don't make me come up there. Yeah, you, that's right, point. She had to get nudged. She's talking to you. That's right. Everybody say right here, right now. This is the beginning of Christianity. This is literally the etymology of the word Christianity when Peter rightfully looks at Jesus and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And look how Jesus responds to him. Look at the next verse. He says, blessed are you, Simon of Jonah. Because you know what? I didn't talk about that on the men's retreat. That wasn't in the syllabus. Uh, what did y'all tell me? What th- th- Today is groups, groups day, what we Group launch. How many of you, they didn't talk about that group launch. Jesus said, in fact, no flesh and blood revealed that to you. That came from my Father which is in heaven. Well, you're exactly right. I am that I am. He said, you are the son of the living God. And then Jesus said, you know what, Peter? What does the name Peter mean? Petra. It means rock. He says, you know what, Peter? He says, on this rock, I'm going to build my what? Everybody point up there. You knew I'd look at you, didn't you? That's right. Everybody point at it. Say right here, right now. This is where church, as you and I know it, begin. In virtual back-to-back sentences, you have manifesting Christianity and church. When Jesus tells Peter, I'm going to build my church. Was he building his church on Peter? No. He's building his church on Peter's confession. If you know anything about biblical times, every time they built a building, they made a big deal when they put the first stone of the foundation in place. What was that stone called? The cornerstone. They made a great deal of pomp and circumstance when they placed the cornerstone. In other words, they said, everything that takes place from here, everything that goes up from here is going to be built on this cornerstone. Similarly, at the conclusion of the building, when they put the last stone in place, they had, again, pomp and circumstance. By the way, what did they call that stone? 
the capstone. From cornerstone to capstone, they would have great celebration. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, Peter, on your confession. Everybody look at me again. How many know that every day you've been building your life on your confession? You're where you are today because of what comes out of your mouth. Wave your hands and say, I know that's right. Yes, your mouth. How many of you know God created the world? How? How did God create the world? With his mouth. If you look at Genesis, they didn't have any forward understanding of this, but I'm going to tell you. Pull up Genesis 1, verse 3. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. And if you can do it in the NIV, that'd be wonderful. If you can't, I'm sorry. But if you can, Genesis 1, verse 3. I want to show you something. I said that he's building the church on Peter's confession. I went on to say, you build your life on your confession. I want you to see the etymology of that as well. I want you to see why your mouth is so important. Have you ever been around church people and they'll say, oh, don't say that. And other people are like, well, I don't believe that way. I don't believe just because you say something. Well, in fact, there is validity to that. And it starts in the beginning. If you look at Genesis 1, if you've got your Bible, you can turn it there. In Genesis 1, verse 1, it says, you know, in the beginning, God created the the heavens and the earth. And then it tells us that darkness hovered over the deep. But if you look at verse 3, something happens that as far as recorded human history had never happened before. Because in Genesis 1, verse 3, it says, and God said... Let there be light. And if you look, what he said is in quotes. Everybody show me air quotes. I mean, you know, air quotes mean it wasn't a thought bubble. It wasn't telepathic. He didn't think light and light came forth. He literally said, let there be light. And light came forward. If you look in verse 6, he speaks again out loud. If you look at verse 9, he speaks again out loud. If you look at verse 14, he speaks again out loud. And every one of those days of creation, what he says, show me your quotes again. What he says is in quotes, which means he's speaking out loud. Let the dry ground appear. Let the waters descend. Let there be the sun and the moon. Let the sky appear. Every time he speaks, he's speaking out loud. Got a question for you. I don't actually want you to answer it. I just want you to think. He's speaking out loud in each of those instances. Who's he talking to? I mean, clearly it's not Adam. He hadn't even made Adam yet. Couldn't have been Eve. She came from Adam. But he's talking out loud. How many of you know if the person in the cubicle next to you constantly spoke out loud to themselves, you'd be calling HR? Huh? Y'all said if I see something, say something. I'm saying something. I'm pretty sure he's going to start shooting in a minute. I'm telling you, Smith is talking to himself again. So God's speaking out loud. Who's he talking? Does he have issues? No. There's a reason. Let me hear you say there's a reason. There's a reason that he puts in place in Genesis 1-3 and remains in place to this instant. You see, everybody look at me. Authority is exercised and released with the mouth. God exercises and releases his authority over creation with his mouth. He had to speak it out loud. When he said, let there be light, he was talking to the light. When he said, let dry ground appear, he was speaking to dry ground. 
When he caused the sky to appear, he was speaking to the sky. When he put the sun and the moon in place, he was speaking to the sun and the moon. When he blessed all of the animals, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, he was speaking to them. But then in Genesis 1.26, God says something that, for my money, changed everything. If you look at Genesis 1.26, it says, and God said, again in quotes, let us make mankind in our image. Let us make mankind in our image. What's a little weird about that? Can we agree, if you're speaking in the third person, that's a little weird. Is this HR? So why would God speak in the plural? Because he is. Everybody in this side of the room, let me hear you say, he's a trinity. Y'all can do better. He is indeed. He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is an us. Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. And then the next two words are the most powerful words for my money of Genesis. And those two words are so that. And God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that. So that what? He may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every wild thing that crawls on the earth. You see, beloved, remind me, because I told you a minute ago, how is authority exercised and released? Now you know your confession is important. Because you see, in Genesis one twenty six. well, let me rephrase that. For 25 verses of Genesis 1, God's been speaking. Put your hands up to your ear. You knew I'd look at you. Yeah, put your hands up to your ear. For 25 verses, all of creation listened to God. From verse 26 of Genesis 1 to today, all of creation has been listening to you. You're created in the image of God so that. And that's why I'm telling you, your mouth, your confession, your answer to who do you say that I am is what you've built your life on or what you've torn your life down with. Your mouth. Wave a hand so I know that's right. The confession of your mouth. That's why you're created with God's mouth, but you're recreated with yours. Stroke your beard. Go ahead, ladies, do it by faith. Stroke your beard. Yeah, yours is long. She's over here. She's two foot down here. She's like, this is how I roll. It's true. You were created with God's mouth, but how many of you know in order for you to be recreated? On the day of judgment, they're not going to ask us, have we been created? We've all been created. What they want to know is, have you been recreated? How many of you know that happens with your mouth? For it is with the heart that man's believed, and with his tongue he confesses. How many know the day is coming where every person on earth will confess? And I figure if that's where you're headed... And it is. Might as well start today, amen? Everybody in this side of the room, let me hear y'all say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Let me hear everybody here say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Let me hear just the balcony say it. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Let me hear just the sound booth. Come on, guys. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
We're delighted to have y'all with us this morning. Everybody in the room say it. How many know when you get the answer to that question, what about you? Who do you say I am? When you can say from your heart, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, you start building your life on something that can't shake. You start building on your life. No matter what comes, no matter what hair you hear, no matter what somebody tells you when they say, I'm sorry, sir, it's stage 3B cancer. There's nothing we can do. I want a divorce. I'm sorry. We're going to have to let you go. No matter what word comes your way, you'll not be shaken. Because you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It doesn't matter what's happened to you. How many of you here have been hurt? Raise your hand if you've been hurt. Everybody in here been hurt. Every one of you in here have been victimized. You could all say with validity, I'm a victim. Unless you got the right answer to that question. Because if you got the right answer to that question, you know victimhood does not divine you. It don't matter what's happened to you, it's how you respond. And when you respond to anything that's happened to you, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You know what happens? You move from being a victim to being a victor. Let me all say, that's good. Come on, let me, hey, come on, give the Lord a hand. Say it, that's good. Say it like Andy Griffith, y'all. Say, that's good. A bunch up there Googling Andy Griffith. <laughs> Where does he pastor? Who's Andy Griffith? <laughs> Questions. You've been asked from as soon as you develop language. It'll continue every day of your life, but you'll never answer a question any more important than what about you? Who do you say that I am? You get that answer right. Everything in your life can change. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. It's very easy to make mistakes. It's also very easy to call abject rebellion a mistake. That was me. I was rebellious. It wasn't a mistake. I meant to do those things. I had a hard heart. I grew up in church. I grew up in Pentecost. I remember asking the Lord, how does somebody who grew up seeing the real deal, my parents love God, my grandparents love God, but what's wrong with me? I'll never forget what the Lord said to me. He said, son, your problem was you were overexposed but under-responsive to the truth. Overexposed yet under-responsive to the truth. It's a recipe for a hard heart. That's what I had. You've never seen anybody stand before you with a harder heart than I had. You've never seen anybody stand before you more profoundly a sinner than me standing before you. And yet, his love went deeper than my sins. His love went deeper than my rebellion. His love went deeper than my my anger. His love went deeper than my unforgiveness. His love went deeper than my drug addiction. His love went deeper. And that's what I'm here to say to you this morning. His love goes deeper than whatever you've experienced. No matter where you're at today, know this, His love goes deeper. And because of that, you can go out of this room today different than the way you came in. You've been thinking that everything around you needs to change. 
if you had a better job, if you just had a different husband, if you had more money, a different car, then it'd be good. But that's the outside. God does his work from the inside. Not the outside in, from the inside out. He changes the one part of you you never could. Your heart. If you're here today and you've never experienced that, if you've never stopped and said openly, I admit I'm a sinner. I admit I've messed up. I admit my life is broken. I admit I can't fix it. I admit it's my fault it's like this. If you've never stopped and said, forgive me, I think I know the right answer now. You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And you're the only one who can help me. If you've never done that, then the whole of this day is for you right now. That's the Spirit of God knocking on your heart. So if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus in your heart, if you don't know that you know that you've stopped everything and said, please forgive me, be the Lord of my life, then this is your opportunity right now. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not even going to make you stand up. I'm going to pray for you right where you're seated. But I want you to be honest before God and to yourself. If you're here today and you're ready to say yes to Jesus, if you're here today and you're willing to see what He can do in your life, you know what you've done with it. Here's the promise He made. He said, I'll take your life and trade it straight up for mine. Best deal you've ever been offered. All you have to do is say yes. If you're here today and you're ready to say yes to Jesus, to make Him your Savior, to ask Him to live in your heart, I want you to do something simple right where you're seated. I want you to just raise your hand where I can see it. Do it now. Raise your hand. I see it. I see it. I see you. Just raise it. I see you. 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 I see you too. Church, pray God's moving. At least a dozen people raised their hand. And I, I may not have seen you, but the important thing is God did. And so here's what I want you to do. If you just raise your hand, then I want to lead you in a prayer. In fact, I want everyone in this room to pray it out loud with them right now. Father, I thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son to die just so I could live. Just so I could live. Say it again. Just so I could live. I believe by his shed blood my sins are now forgiven. And I believe by his resurrection I now have eternal life. I believe that in my heart. I'm confessing it with my mouth. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Church, can you give God glory for these people this morning? Come on, I live for that. That's awesome. Praise Jesus. Pastor Marissa will come up and they'll do some follow-up. If you raise your hand, I know they're going to want to talk to you and spend a few moments with you. So you be bold. And remember this, I saw you raise your hand, so don't make me come back there.